Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Form 3.tech podcast. My name is Kevin Holditch, Head of Platform Engineering at Form 3. And today I'm joined by Daniel Holt from Cockroach. How's it going today, Daniel? It's going well, Kevin, thanks. What about yourself? Yeah, not bad, thank you. Um, to start with, do you want to introduce yourself and explain your role at Cockroach? Yeah, I can do. Uh, my name is Daniel Holt, and if you haven't guessed from the accent, I'm based in, in Wales, in the UK. Um, my role at Cockroach Labs is I run a solutions engineering team uh, that help customers who want to adopt CockroachDB uh, implement things like proof of concepts and pilots and things like that. Cool. Um, so I think to start with, let's set the scene for the listeners and, and sort of um, spend a little bit of time explaining to them what Cockroach is. So you're actually our first returning guest back on the podcast. You came on on episode 13 where we did do a deep dive into Cockroach. So if you want more detail, please check out that episode. But for now, I guess, what's the elevator pitch of Cockroach? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a database. Um, many people will think, is it just another database? But if, if we look at the database landscape, there are predominantly three types of database. You have the what we call the legacy databases. So your SQL servers, your oracles, your MySQLs and Postgres. Uh, and what they are really good at are things like, you know, ACID compliance. They're very flexible because they speak SQL. Um, you can you can make schema changes and things like that to those types of databases which make them very easy to work with. But where they sort of start to fall over or start to lag behind is the scalability aspect because you can only really scale them in one way which is, which is vertically scaling them. You can't really horizontally scale those databases very easily. And then we move across to sort of NoSQL um, which are kind of the complete opposite. They're absolutely awful at things like uh, immediate consistency, flexibility, um, not too good at that. But where they really shine is that horizontal scalability. You can scale NoSQL databases very, very efficiently. Then the third types of databases, which are coming up more and more often now, are your cloud-native databases. So your Cloud SQLs, your Azure SQLs, uh, your Auroras of the world. And they kind of bridge the gap, but not entirety. So if we take um, Aurora, for example, very, very good at scaling horizontally for read workloads, but really struggles when you have to scale write workloads. And that's because what the cloud providers have done is they've taken a single node Postgres and MySQL implementation, and they just added distributed storage underneath. What Cockroach does is Cockroach comes in and it bridges the gap between all of those technologies. So it'll give you a SQL database that is Postgres wire compatible and Postgres dialect. Um, it'll allow you to do things like ACID compliance, on, online schema changes, be very, very flexible in that manner. But it'll also allow you to horizontally scale by simply just adding nodes and the database takes care of rebalancing and reshuffling all of the data to make full and effective use of all of the compute resources. CockroachDB can also be run in any public or private cloud provider and also on any, any hardware if you're running your own data centers and things like that. Okay, very cool. I'd just like to pick up on a couple of points you made there. So you talk about ACID compliance a couple of times. Do you just want to give a brief explanation in case anyone's not familiar with what that is? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ACID compliance gets talked a lot about in the database world. Um, gets talked about too much for my liking, but what people actually talk about in, or what they, they care about in terms of ACID is, is, both, is the isolation level. And the isolation level is the thing that really guarantees the consistency of your data and protects you against things like um, data anomalies, things like read, read, read skews, write skews, dirty reads, things like that. So um, in terms of Cockroach, we run in serializable isolation, 
which is pretty much the top level of, of isolation level and we protect your data against all types of data anomalies and um, so you get you know immediate consistency and super accurate data with CockroachDB. Okay so I guess in layman's terms the trade-off is so say if I wanted to run a cockroach node in each cloud provider when I do a write, I can deploy Cockroach in such a way that two of those three nodes have to agree because I think it uses raft-based consensus. And then once they agree, then I know that write is consistent straight away across my whole database versus something that's not eventually consistent like Cassandra or something where I could write my row to say AWS. And if someone's reading from Azure, the node in Azure, it may or may not be there. So that's what you're talking about when you say a dirty read. So that, that would not be possible. In exactly. Cloud. Yeah, exactly, Kevin, you've nailed it. So it's the, it's the ability to main, maintain consistency of your data across all of your, your database estate. There's, there's no eventual consistency with CockroachDB. So I suppose that's going to be more important probably in some industries than others. So in Form Freeze case, where we're talking about payments and every payment's got to be unique, and that's our number one um, sort of thing that we're looking at, we need something that's absolutely consistent. Whereas if you're kind of using a database maybe to serve data that say your Facebook profile page, and if it's slightly out of date, it doesn't really matter. Then those other databases that can offer sort of quicker read performance, but the data might be dirty, they might be a better fit. So it's like horses for courses. It is, yeah, look, and they're, they're, there's pros and cons of both. Um, as you mentioned, you know, there's, there's two types, I like to talk about workloads in types of two two use cases, the system of record and then the system of access. So system of record is like you mentioned, it's it's predominantly around financial services that we see our main sweet spot. It's around the consistency of the data where it is a system of record, it has to be accurate all of the time. And then the other types of workloads then are system of access and these are things like your Facebook profile, your news feeds in Facebook and things like that, which don't have to be immediately consistent. Um, and that's a really good use case for something like Cassandra because it can be eventually consistent and you may get a little bit more performance out of those you know, eventually consistent systems. Okay, cool. And I think the last comparison I just want to touch on is you talk about some of these sort of cloud native databases like Aurora and AWS, and I'm not sure what the other ones are called in the other clouds, but it's the same sort of concept. And I think the main differentiator there, especially in the financial industry, is you have cloud vendor lock-in if you pick, say, Aurora. So it might work, say, fairly well, but you're locked into just one vendor. So what we see with a lot of banks that Form 3 work with is a reluctance to commit wholly to a cloud vendor. They want the portability to be able to move because of the regulators kind of coming at them and saying, we can't have a dependency on this single cloud vendor. So is that one of the things that you see pushed down, you know, that your customers are looking at? It is, it is. I mean, we work with a lot of the same banks that you guys are working with as well, and, and, and we see exactly that, you know, um, there are regulations being pushed down that prevent you from, from tying yourself into a single single cloud or even a single data center in most, uh, in most cases. Um, so that is definitely one portion of, of the cloud aspect. Um, the other portion is the, those databases um, really can't scale in terms of write throughput. So if you take a raw write, still a single master write node that all of your writes have to go through a single node. Um, so as soon as you've hit the capacity point of that single node, then your write throughput is going to be affected. Whereas Cockroach, you can just add more nodes and every node is capable of servicing at both a read and a write. Okay, so before we move on to sort of the different ways of running Cockroach, I just want to touch a little bit more under the bonnet on how actually um, Cockroach achieves this. So. Um, in my sort of layman's brain, 
I think uh, like Cockroach presents itself as like a normal relational databases and uses the Postgres dialect, as, as you mentioned. But underneath the bonnet, it actually splits up the data into key value stores and moves those key value stores um, onto different nodes based on what the database is doing and then uses some kind of consensus to basically make sure the rights are consistent. So is that, is that roughly right? So then as you add more nodes, you can scale out because the data is already kind of spread across them. It is, it's, it's exactly that. So we are um, predominantly, the only way you can act, interact with the database is through the SQL API, which is Postgres dialect compatible, which I've mentioned. But what we do underneath uh, all of that is, is, is we actually use a key value store. Um, we used to use a database called RocksDB, which quite, is quite a well-known um, key, value, key value store. But we've actually now took a fork of that and we've developed our own, which we call Pebble. The reason we use a key value store underneath is because it's efficiency purposes in both distribution and replication of data and its performance characteristics as well. It's probably one of the most performant types of databases that you can have under the hood. So yeah, to your point, the way that we actually split the data up or write the data in CockroachDB is there's a concept of a range. Um, and a range is basically 512 megabytes of data. And every sort of, once you exceed that 512 megabytes worth of data, there will be another range for the next 512 megabytes of data. So every, I'd say nearly every operation in CockroachDB is done at the range level. So each range gets a replication factor of three, gets replicated three times. Um, each range gets elected as a lease, one, one of those ranges will get elected as a leaseholder and that's what just sort of controls all of the reads and writes for that um, raft group or range group that we call it. Okay, so I think that's the really key point there that one of the nodes will have the range that's the leaseholder. So that's really, the one that's actually doing the physical right when you get down to like the nuts and the bolts of it. So that's how you can scale out right performance because it's done at the range level, not one big server with the massive database that takes care of all the rights. Yeah, exactly. If you take something like um, SQL Server, for example, um, you have a concept of lock locks in, in, so in SQL Server. So what will happen is a write will come in. If another write comes into the same key, then you're gonna have contention and it will lock so, so your throughput essentially goes down. By uh, having everything split up at the range level, then you know, uh, one node could be handling the one portion of the write, another could be handling a different row within that table. So there's, the tables are logical constructs in CockroachDB. Everything at the sort of, we call it the KV or the key value layer is, is where all of the, uh, the nuts and bolts get done. Okay, yeah, I think that, that makes total sense. Okay, so just want to move on now to the sort of different ways that you can run Cockroach because I know there's a few different ways available to you. So it might be good to sort of go through those one by one. So if any listeners are out there are thinking of sort of dabbling in Cockroach, they sort of see the best one that might fit their use case. So the first one, um, I guess pretty obvious is that you can just take the container and, and run it yourself on, on sort of Kubernetes, I think is the recommended approach. So can we just go through, I guess, the pros and cons of, of running it yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we call that sort of a self-hosted deployment model. Um, and that's the model where you either take the binary, download the binary and install it on a number of bare metal servers or a number of virtual machines. Or to your point, Kevin, you can also, you know, download the Docker image and run it in Docker or Kubernetes and things like that. Uh, the benefit of that is you get ultimate control over both the infrastructure and the database deployment that you you're, you want to use then. 
So for example, if you want to use multi-cloud deployment models, then that is currently the only way we support doing multi or hybrid cloud technology um, deployments. You have to self-host this, you have to manage the networking, you have to manage all of the underlying infrastructure, you have to do all of your own automation, you have to do all of your own monitoring and, and alerting and, and, uh, and maintenance of the cluster then. So um, if we split those up into pros and cons, obviously it's, it's the ultimate flexibility. You know, you have the ability to run multi-cloud. Uh, you have fine-grained control over things like access requirements. You can do things like firewalls, access control lists. You, you, you have you control complete perimeter security of your your deployment. The cons of that is obviously there's a lot of work involved in maintaining all of that infrastructure. So you have to have an operations team that is capable of deploying Cockroach, managing the infrastructure, managing the database, uh, and pretty much you know everything that goes along with that. Yes, I think. That's one of the use cases we've got a form three and that why we're moving to Cockroach is that, as we touched on earlier, some of our customers want us to be able to support running across multiple clouds. So that in as part of the new platform, we're gonna be running a Cockroach database across the sort of three major public clouds, Cock, uh, Azure, GCP and AWS. So I think the self-hosted model is, is our only option. Um, I think another good accompaniment to Cockroach is a technology called Cilium. So if you're running it on Kubernetes, so what Cilium can do, and we've got another podcast on this where I interviewed uh, Dan, who's the CEO of Isovalent. Um, so if you want to check out that episode, you can if you want more details on Cilium. But what Cilium can basically do is make um, the pods be able to communicate between multiple Kubernetes clusters. So I know there's other tricks in terms of you can sort of use DNS chaining to to mesh Kubernetes clusters together and get Cockroach working, but Cilium's another option that kind of maybe makes it a bit easier for people if they want to go down that direction. Yep, definitely, and we've, we've started to explore um, possibly integrating Cilium um, with, with portions of our, our CockroachDB um, sort of Helm charts and, and things like that as well. So it's definitely a good option uh, to help simplify the networking constructs that go in, in multi-region uh, Kubernetes deployments. Cool, yeah. So I just wanted to point that out to the listeners. So if that's something you're looking at, you might want to sort of explore Cilium. It's good to know that sort of the cockroach team are probably seeing that so often they're looking at uh, to build that into their Helm charts. Cool. So then I think the next way you can run it is cockroach themselves offer a, a sort of a product called cockroach cloud which I think is, uh, or do you want to explain what that is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is what we're seeing a lot of sort of, I'd say small to medium companies starting to use now is, is we call it Cockroach Cloud Dedicated. And it's basically a, a platform as a service offering for CockroachDB. So what we will do is we will spin up the infrastructure. We'll manage all the automation that goes along with that. We will manage the infrastructure. We will managing the patching, the backups, um, if we ever have to do a restore, things like that, we will manage all of that for you. What we will then do is we will expose an endpoint, um, and that endpoint could either be a, um, you know, something that you use for your connection string to attach to over the internet using TLS certificates for uh, for the security aspect, or it could be something like um, AWS Private Link, for example, if you want that additional security um, that comes along with Private Link deployments. In GCP, we can also do things like VPC peering to, 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 to again, make the security uh, of the networking a lot better. 
but ultimately um, what Cockroach Cloud Dedicated is, is a dedicated cluster for you to run in your own, uh, we actually use Kubernetes um, to host this as well, so you get your own dedicated Kubernetes cluster, your own dedicated deployment of Cockroach on top of that Kubernetes cluster, where we use all of our knowledge um, that we've gathered over the past six years of building CockroachDB to optimize uh, and manage that infrastructure for you. We give you a connection string, so all you have to do is connect your application and start developing your application. You don't have to worry about any of the underlying infrastructure or networking that goes along with that. Okay, and a couple of sort of follow-up questions there. So it sounds like you mentioned GCP and AWS there. So as a customer, do you get a choice which cloud the database is provisioned in? You do. Um, so when you sign up for a Cockroach Cloud dedicated cluster, you, you get to pick whether you want to run it in AWS or whether you want to run it in GCP. Um, you can't run multi-cloud deployments um, in, in Cockroach Cloud dedicated at the moment. However, that is something that we're planning on offering in the longer term. Um, in order to do that, though, we also have to offer Azure as a cloud provider in Cockroach Cloud Dedicated, which again is currently not available, but we, are, we, we have already started to, to develop the Azure infrastructure out to, to be ready to add that into our Cockroach Dedicated offering. Okay, so as a customer, you mentioned that I can privately connect. So presumably in AWS using something like Private Link, I can spin up the Cockroach uh, Cloud in AWS and then use Private Link um, endpoints to privately access my my cockroach cloud database and that's not visible on the internet at all so it's yeah you can that uses the AWS backbone then because you're using private link at that point but yeah that is exactly the case okay yeah I think that's quite a sort of a common approach and I think GCP have recent recently released private service connect which is their kind of yep. um, equivalent I don't know whether that's you've had a chance to offer that on the GCP side because I know prior to that in GCP it was a bit messy to connect customers together there was a couple of options but none of them were really that great yeah I mean the only the only option we used to have was traditional VPCP ring which means you had to be very specific in terms of your your IP CIDR ranges to make sure they don't overlap and things like that um, uh, we are definitely looking at the private service offering that that Google I think they, they launched it was it last month or the month before I believe it's fairly recent that they went into GA I think yeah exactly so we, we we've we've hired um, a new security PM who is actively looking at what it's going to take to start uh, implementing those those types of more secure technologies yeah because I think like you mentioned prior to that you had to VPC pair your your VPC with the with the vendors VPC or the customers VPC which isn't really great because then by definition um, both side arrangers are available to both sides then you've got firewall off and Probably if you're doing it properly, you need a separate VPC to peer and then you need to sort of transitively connect that to your main VPC. It starts getting very messy very quickly just to solve a connectivity problem. It does, it does. And then you have to question yourself around things like, you know, is it more beneficial for me to self-host that because I'm doing most of the, the, the hard work anyway around managing the network versus allowing CockroachDB to, to, to manage most of it for me. So. Okay, so that could be a consideration for someone, but I guess if they're in AWS, then the, the private link offering is, uh, solves that problem quite nicely. So I guess the other um, benefits are probably that they know the customer no longer has to worry about the infrastructure and presumably do cockroach 
automatically scale out the database as, as usage goes up or do I have to tune that as a customer? Yeah, so um, first of all on the, the private link stuff, even in GCP we do make it as easy as possible to, to, to implement that. That's all self-service now, you can do all of that through a couple of clicks of a button in, in Cockroach Cloud and it will manage that for you. Um, on, the auto, on the auto-scaling aspect of things, Kevin, it's really not a good idea to auto-scale your database in, in, in most cases because when you add more nodes, you're typically going to be under a lot of pressure because the reason you're adding more nodes is because your database is under a lot of pressure. So when, when you add more nodes, you're actually adding even more pressure to the database because we then need to rebalance all of that data to the new nodes. So, so just to pause you there, is that because of the way Cockroach works in terms of the ranges? So when I add more nodes, I think my naive brain is thinking it's going to have to copy those ranges to the new node and evenly, evenly space them out. Is that is that kind of what's going on? It is. It's not. It's not also unique to Cockroach. It's pretty much any distributed database will have to do that. Uh, and the only time you don't want to do that is when your cluster is under a tremendous amount of pressure. <laughs> Because if I'm running at 100% CPU and I add three more nodes, then I need 110% CPU to start rebalancing that data across the other nodes. So you really want to do more proactive capacity planning in that case and maybe scale the nodes a couple of hours before you plan on getting those spikes. That is a much, much more efficient way of doing things. There are other options which we're looking at, um, which we'll talk about in a, in a couple of minutes, called CockroachDB Serverless, and that will allow you to do those auto-scaling technologies, but that is a relatively new offering from CockroachDB, and it's currently in beta. So. Okay, so just to sort of continue on Cockroach Cloud for a little bit, as a customer, what view do I get into my running database? Do I see how many nodes they are? How do I pay for it? Do I pay based on nodes? Do I pay based on how many queries I do? Like what's the what what's the model there? Yeah, so on Cockroachload dedicated, um, the licensing model is there is a node-based licensing model because we're actually offering it as a dedicated EKS cluster, and then we charge on a node-by-node -node basis for for that. But the cost of of the node encompasses everything in that, so you get all of the support, all of the enterprise features that CockroachDB offers. CockroachDB will also, um, as part of that cost, handle all of the networking charges, the egress charges um, from for the CockroachDB dedicated cluster as well. So you do get a lot in terms of what you get for a, for a node-based um, pricing model. Okay, and because it's node-based, I know I can factor in what my costs are going to be because I think well, that's what, that's one of the things that can be difficult sometimes is if I'm running it all myself, there's a lot of variance there, so at least if I know I'm paying X per node, I can work that out and budget that in. Yeah, it's a very predictable model. So if you if, if you have budgetary concerns and things like that, and you want a very predictive uh, model over a year period, a two year period, whatever, um, then Cockroach Dedicated is, is certainly a good option to look at. There are also two ways to pay for, for CockroachDB Dedicated. Um, obviously, if you go through our sales channels and things like that, you could potentially get some um, some discount in terms of signing up to annual or multi-year contracts, typical of any other vendor that you will probably go to. But the other option is you can also, you know, just put your credit card in and pay on a month-by-month -month basis as well. Okay, so if you just wanted to sort of dip your toe in the water and try it out, that's not a bad little option. Um, you could just pay for a month, give it a spin, and it's fairly low friction because you haven't got to worry about spin up a Kubernetes cluster, getting a few engineers on that, and you can kind of just try it out, you know straight away yeah yeah exactly you get all of the benefits um, and none of the drawbacks <laughs> it's, 
is what it comes down to. Awesome. And then I think you just briefly mentioned it, but the the sort of the last way you can run cockroach, and I think the newest way, and I think this is um, a fairly new offering from cockroach, is the cockroach serverless offering. So do you want to explain explain what that offering is? Yeah. So um, serverless database technologies are quite a new. Um, sort of technology in the database world. Um, AWS recently came up with Aurora serverless um, as well, uh, but in terms of CockroachDB serverless, what it is is a, a consumption-based model for your CockroachDB cluster. So I should start out by saying really that on the, the serverless um, offering at the moment is in beta, so we don't recommend it for very large-scale production deployments. But it is really good for, to your point, Kevin, dipping your toe in the water, having a play around, having a sandbox. Even some really you know, small to, to medium applications are a good fit for, for CockroachDB serverless. Um, the reason we don't recommend it for production deployments is we don't have any SLAs associated with it as of yet. So if you require SLAs uh, and full 24-7 type support, then it's not a technology that you should be looking at in the short term. In the long term, when we move it out of beta, then we are going to look at adding that type of support and things like that. So what do you get with, with CockroachDB Serverless? Well, first of all, there is a free tier of CockroachDB Serverless, which means you can store up to five gigabytes worth of data in, in CockroachDB Serverless, um, and you can use it for absolutely free. Okay, so even better for dipping your toe in the water then. So that is that is the one you want to go for if you want to have a play around with, if any listeners out there are thinking of giving this a whirl. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely the one that I would recommend that you guys start on just to get your, the, the concepts, get, get familiar with CockroachDB and things like that. Beyond that five gigabytes then, um, we run a consumption-based model. So you basically only pay for the time you're using the compute to run your queries against the database. So we, we bundle those up into something called RSUs. Um, so, so it's resource units is what it comes down to. Um, and a resource unit is just a combination of compute, RAM and storage network over a time period. So it is truly consumption based. But what you also have the ability to do with, with, with CockroachDB serverless is you can put a spending limit on there. So if you know for a fact that you only want to spend $50 a month, for example, on, on your application, then you can put that limit in place and we will allow you to use RSUs up until that point and then send you an email to say that you know you're, you're coming to the to the end of your um, or you, you're approaching your spend limit either increase your spend limit or reduce the number of queries you're running against CockroachDB. Okay that's that's a very nice little feature so you can really control your control your costs with with this option it's not just going to run away with you because I think we've had that in the past with um, with some of the cloud databases where we've accidentally had um, queries that have gone amok and le left ourselves with sort of multi-thousand dollar bills because no one noticed until it was kind of too late. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think every <laughs> every company has one or two of those uh, instances where you get a surprise cloud bill, so. Okay, okay, very cool. So I guess, so the pros for that is it's easy to get going and you know, like you said, you've got the free tier, which is super cool. So you can use it for absolutely no cost. And probably if you've got a small project, that might even suffice if you're just trying to, you know, run a small application or something like that. And then I guess the cons are, like you said, it's not ready for production use as of yet. Um, and I presume presuming that the um, the private link stuff is not there with that or, or is that is that incorrect uh, it, it's, it's not um, that is the next thing on our list um, 
I, I don't want to give a time frame, but it's quite high priority on the list. Um, the other thing you need to understand about Cockroach um, Serverless is it's a multi-tenancy environment. So the, the infrastructure is being shared with other tenants um, within the infrastructure as well. So you don't get your own dedicated hardware that you're running on like you do with Cockroach Dedicated. But that has its advantages as well. Um, you talked about auto-scaling earlier on. It's a lot easier to auto-scale a um, serverless instance because there is so much available hardware already in place ready to do that rebalancing of data so um, it's a lot more efficient to do it in a serverless uh, environment than it is in something like CockroachDB dedicated or self-hosted. I see yeah that, that makes total sense. Okay very cool so I think that's a really good summary so if people want to get started on Cockroach give it a try I think you've uh, got a lot of options there laid out in front of you. Um, to wrap this episode up I'd just like to uh, give you a chance to talk about any cockroach news anything that's just been launched yeah so um some of you who have been following cockroach db may have noticed that we've we've recently relaunched our next version of cockroach db and um, the version number is 21.2 um, so i would highly encourage anybody who is returning to cockroach or interested in some new compatibility features that we've added take a look at cockroach uh, 21.2 some of the highlights of that is is this this release has really been around sort of um, compatibility, Postgres compatibility, and, and and really increasing the footprint of the things that we can support. We've done a lot of work around you know um, JSON B uh, integrations and, and and things like that. A lot of work with some ORMs. We've added some support for some new ORMs um, and some programming languages as well. So. Highly recommend everybody take a look. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so I think we talked about that a little bit in the green room before the episode started. So I think a lot of the um, form-free databases we use is based on uh, based on Postgres. So when we make heavy use of JSONB, so we kind of use Postgres almost as a NoSQL database, which may you could argue may may not be the best use case of Postgres. And I think one of the initial things that Form 3 found a couple of years ago when we looked at Cockroach was there wasn't a lot of compatibility between kind of the NoSQL aspects of Postgres, which is mainly JSON B manipulation, and Cockroach. That's where the compatibility fell fell short. So is that something Cockroach constantly looking at and trying to bridge that gap so they can make the transition as seamless as possible? If someone's got Postgres and they've outgrown a single instance, they want to move to a, a horizontally scalable database you want to make that like a drop-in replacement if, that, if that's possible yeah ultimately that's what we're striving for um, I think I think you know database migrations I hate it when people say that they're easy because I've never done an easy database migration but if we can make it as easy as possible then I think that goes a long way so we're, we're always looking at increasing the footprint of compatibility with with Postgres uh, in particular to try and accommodate more and more workloads but also to make it a lot easier for existing workloads that are familiar with those technologies and to be, you know, for developers to more easily then develop on top of CockroachDB as well. Okay, super cool. All right, thanks a lot for coming on the show today, Daniel. It's been a really good uh, discussion. No, you're welcome and uh, have, a, have a nice day, everybody. looking to double the size of our remote first engineering team. If you'd like to help the world move money faster and enjoy working on complex technical challenges using the latest tech, feel free to check out the careers page in the description.